There are some words that automatically carry a picture with them. There are some words that we hear that we're able to associate an image with that word as soon as we hear it. And one of those words is heaven. We hear the word heaven, and we think about the wonderfulness of that place, just as if on the other end of the spectrum we hear the word hell and the awfulness of that place. And imagery becomes visual in our minds in both cases. But rather than focusing on the image of hell this evening, I want us to focus on the image of heaven. Because I don't believe that we talk enough about it. I'm not sure we sing enough about it. I'm not sure we think enough about it. Because if we will talk and sing and pray and think about it more, then we'll be even more diligent in our efforts to please God that when life is over with, that can be our eternal resting place. Because you see, heaven, just the mere mention of the word, the place, causes us to envision an endless array of grand and glorious images, does it not? It does. To bask, to delight in the radiance of God Almighty forever. To be in His presence. Oh, that will be glorious and wonderful beyond our understanding and beyond our ability to comprehend fully in this life. To sing the worthiness of the Lamb and realize what a great sacrifice Jesus Christ has really made for us and to realize the life that He lived which was perfect and that the ways that He left for us to walk and to conduct our lives were truly wonderful and purposeful. To reside in that prepared mansion when Jesus, for instance, if you'll turn for just a moment to John chapter 14, Jesus was going to, he knew everything was pointing towards Jerusalem and towards his betrayal and crucifixion. And they are at and near that place in those events. And they're troubled by all that's going on. And so in verse 1 of John 14, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. To converse with the great men and women of God who were both ancient and modern to sit down and to be able to talk with them, to sit by the river of life with the Savior and humbly say to the Savior in words that seem far short and inadequate, thank you. Thank you for what you did. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for all that you have made available to us. To be free from the body of pain, suffering, to be free from a body that has experiences anxiety, care, 
emotions of disappointment and heartache and heartbreak, to be free of all that. Those are the things that come to our mind as we think about heaven. Good evening. I'm glad you're here tonight. I'm thankful for your presence and I hope and pray that the things we talk about and study together this evening will prove to be profitable and beneficial to each and every one of us. Your presence is an encouragement to the brethren here and it is a personal encouragement to me and there are folks again here this night that I've known for a long, long time and I appreciate you and I appreciate your support and your encouragement in this effort. I would like for you to turn now to the book of 2 Peter, the first chapter. And this is where we're going to, you may not be familiar with this phrase, but it's a throwback to old days. We're going to camp out on 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to spend some time as we read the words of the Apostle Peter, penned by inspiration to a group of early Christians who were suffering immensely for the cause of Christ. Life was difficult, it was challenging at the least, it was costly in more ways than perhaps we can even imagine in a greater extent. They were paying a great price for their faith. And so as we think about heaven tonight and as we look at a lesson that I have entitled, Looking Ahead While Living in the Present. There are things incorporated into that title that you may not have thought about. For instance, we have the responsibility and we should have the desire to be thinking about heaven, but not to the exclusion of living our lives here on this earth. Because to get to heaven, there are things that we need to do in our lives, and do not misunderstand, and I want to be clear about this. There is absolutely no way that any of us could earn our way to heaven. I don't care, and I'm not being reckless about that, how good you are, how loving you are, and what good deeds you have done. When it's all said and done and the smoke clears, we're still sinners. And we have fallen short of the glory of God. And by God's grace and mercy, He has made it possible for you and for me to be in heaven with Him forever. Praise God that He has made that available to us. How thankful and grateful we ought to be. How benevolent was our God in providing for us an inheritance incorruptible undefiled, and that fades not away. Nobody, no one can take it from us. No one. It's not going to wear out. You know, how, how long does a, a new house stay a new house? How long does a new car stay a new car? First time you drive that car off the showroom floor, I hate to tell you, but you've already lost a lot in your value. And the first time you park, I knew a brother in Christ that got a, he wanted a Cadillac Escalade. Black tinted windows, chrome everywhere, he, that's what he wanted. First crack out of the box. 
one of the members of the church let the wind get the door next to him. And I have you ever seen a grown man cry in the parking lot of a church building? His new Escalade was no longer new. Peter says that that, that crown of righteousness that will be ours, that hearing well done is something that is not going to be affected by anything in this world to degrade it in any way, to take it away from us in any way, to diminish it in any way. It is incorruptible and it's undefiled and it will not fade away. So listen to the reading. I'll be reading from 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 1 and reading down through verse 11. And now I'll be reading from the New King James translation. To those who have Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's talking about the fact that his brothers and sisters in Christ have the very same opportunity as other brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, in the kingdom, there's no such thing as a first-class citizen and a second-class citizen or a third-class citizen. There is such a thing as a citizen in the kingdom of God. And Peter is saying to them and reminding them and encouraging them, you're all equal in God's eyes. Grace and peace be multiplied to you, a standard greeting in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who hath who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Peter is reminding these brethren what they did when they put Christ on in baptism. He is reminding them of who they were in Jesus Christ. They were heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. They were citizens in the kingdom of God. They were soldiers in the Lord's army. They were members of the household of God. And Peter wanted them, just as these words have been preserved, we need to understand that it is a wonderful, glorious privilege and honor to be a Christian, to be a child of God. And we are living in a time when the world is demeaning God, diminishing, trying at least, the truthfulness and the effectiveness and the veracity of the Bible as God's word, demeaning those who have faith and who want to subscribe to the principles in the Bible and have their moral values established by what God has said is right and wrong, what is good and evil. And so it takes a resolve and a determination. And as we will see in our lesson tonight, it takes diligence to do what God wants us to do. Has God expected, does he in some way expect more of us than we can be or become or do? Is that the kind of God we serve who has put something out here for us in his word and if you think you're good enough and talented enough and great enough to grab that and get that, then it's yours. I got news for you. That's not the God I serve. I think that gets lost. 
sometimes in the shuffle. But let's, let's go ahead and pick up. We'll, we'll be coming back to a few of these words and terminology in the course of the study. Pick up with verse 5. We're familiar with this reading. But also for this very reason. Well, what very reason? It's always important to connect in a context what has been said when you find a statement like this, it couples it together. In other words, it's in light of what I've just said to you, Peter says. Here's what you need to do to make, help these things to be realized ultimately with your inheritance in heaven when this life is over. So what he says is, giving all diligence. Now, I want you to note that in verse 5 we find the word diligence, and later on in verse 10 we find a form of that same word, diligent. And it's, it's like he has bookended some thoughts that in between are going to describe what it means to be diligent. And so we need to understand that. So he says... Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Now I want to stop there for just a minute. I don't know if Kansas City area still has cafeterias like they used to. Most of them are gone down in Texas, but they're still furs, and I think Luby's went completely belly up. But you go through a cafeteria line and you, you get your tray and you get your silverware and then the first thing they've got for you there are the salads or jello. I don't like jello. So I can perform the Passover on jello real quick. And I can have salad at home. So I just pass right over the salads, and I get right to, the, right to the meat of the matter. And I choose what I want to have, and then I choose the kind of vegetables that I want. And then if I've been good, and I've really watched my blood sugar, if I've been really good, and if I've really watched my blood sugar, it does not always work that way, but I'm doing my best. Then I can have a piece of pie. But my wife has learned about that. She's figured out my ways. And she says, we'll split a piece of pie. And you know what? I'm just going to tell you in passing, I never get the largest portion of that, that split piece of pie. She cuts crooked. <laughs> And I've told her she needs to have her glasses renewed. And she just looks up at me with those big brown eyes and she just smiles, doesn't even say a word. And I think, I said my piece, just eat what you got and be happy. So we go through that line and we choose what we want We pick and choose. Now let me tell you something about what Peter says here and these graces and virtues of 2 Peter 1. He is not giving, he's not making these principles, these qualities, these virtues, these graces optional. You can't go through here and pick and choose and say, you know what, I really do like that, that, virtue, that knowledge. I like that. But now that self-control, that's asking a little bit more than I want to indulge in. 
And perseverance, yeah, I can, I can kind of do that. Now, godliness, whoa, that's raising the bar up pretty high, and I don't know about that. We don't have that option, folks. Every one of these virtues are intended to build upon the other so that when you are working and developing and maturing and growing in your faith, you are becoming better fitted to serve God and you are becoming better fitted to be with God when this life is over with. Now, how how you like that? You see how important that is? But let's pick up a little bit further, and we'll just come back and highlight a few of those things a little bit. Verse 8, For if these things are yours and abound, if these things are yours and abound, you might want to underline that, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For, in other words, here's a contrast we need to be mindful of. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. Do you see what Peter is saying there? He is making it personal. He's saying, this message that I have penned and I'm sharing with you and it will be passed around is for you as an individual to take in and apply. He says, you need to have these things in you and abound that you may neither be barren nor unfruitful. For he that lacks these things is blind and forgotten. Therefore, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things... You will never stumble. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Time has a way of destroying and eroding hope. We all know what, what happens in life. For instance, you take a young man who is talented in baseball or basketball or football or golf. And that young man or that young lady have visions of playing collegiate sports. And some will even have uh, intentions of being skilled enough and good enough to make it to the next level, to the professional level. But generally by the time the senior year in high school is over with, the hopes and the dreams of many fall short. They just don't have what it is going to take to play at the next level. Still others have what it takes. They have the ambition. They have the talent. They have the mental wherewithal to work and develop and mature and be a team player. And they're able to play at the collegiate level. But the pool has really dwindled down by then. Then for those who want to go to the professional, it's like a funnel and it really narrows down now. And so here's someone, here's a young man who's really hoped he could do all that in one of those sports and he figures it out. Disappointing. Someone who's a musician and is talented with a particular instrument. Someone who has a, a really good voice who wants to go to the next level and the next level and the next level, and they find out, they figure it out along the way that they are not going to go to that top level. 
Do they quit singing? Do they quit playing? Do they quit enjoying the sport? No, but they have to, they have to rearrange their goals. You see, we understand that in the, in the real world. We must stay focused because our adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion walking about, Peter says in 1 Peter 5 and 8, seeking whom he may devour. And let me tell you, one of the tools in his bag, one of his most effective tools is that where he causes us to be discouraged and distracted and disappointed in ourself, in others, in the church, in the Lord, and he will ply his wares and he will use his abilities to do his best to render you useless in the kingdom of God. Now that's how smart our adversary is. Don't underestimate him. So we need to understand that. We who have become children of God have been included, Paul says in Romans 8, 15 to 17, in Christ's last will and testament, and we are by reason of our obedience and by reason of our grace, heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We have all seen disappointment and heartache in our own lives in some way or another. Can you imagine what it would be like to hear the Lord say to you at the last day, well done, you've been a good and faithful servant, and you are ushered into heaven's portal. And you never will have to leave. I, I don't mind telling you, I, I like Disney World. Always have. It's a fun place. It's a happy place. I don't like all the people there, but I enjoy it. And it's always interesting, uh, when we lived in Florida, we, would, we had a pass so we could go there often. And a lot of times I would just like to sit down just inside the gate and watch the families come through the turnstiles and their faces light up as they see all that they wanted to see and there it is right there for them. And they see downtown of Disney and they see the castle and they see the maps and the signs that says this world and that world and this land and that land. And you can see it in the kids' faces. And you can see in the parents who are trying their best to harness those kids before they run off and leave them. But I have also watched them at the end of the day when the parents can't get out of the gate fast enough to get to the car or the monorail. And the kids don't want to go and they're dragging them and the kids are crying and it is not a happy scene. And I think that's one reason why Disney has put gift shops right there at the gate. One last stop before we leave. We're going to get a little bit more of your money. To the Christian, the grandeur and the reality of the city of God is not some sort of a, a make-believe fantasy or a dreamed-up fantasy. You and I need to realize that in heaven, we can be with the Lord and with his people and with his Father and with the Spirit of God forever. I believe in heaven. I believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. I believe in God the Father and I believe in God the Spirit. And I believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Do you? Do you believe that? 
We need to realize that if we do, then we have a life that is expected of us. Turn, please, if you will, back for just a moment to the book of Hebrews, the sixth chapter. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19. I want you to notice uh, a, a passage of Scripture that had to have been so much encouragement to these early Hebrew Christians in particular who at this time in the writing of this book were being strongly tempted to fall back to the old system and the old covenant. And there was a great pull by reason of all that was going on around them and the turmoil in their culture and in their world and among their family members that they were being enticed and persecuted and thinking, maybe, maybe I made a mistake here. Maybe I need to go back to the law of Moses. And the writer of Hebrews has had some things to say about don't turn back. But in verse, in fact, I want to begin verse 17. Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. What is the hope that was set before them? It is the same hope that is set before us, and that is the hope of being with God when this life is over with based on a commitment and a life of service to him in this life. So he says then, this hope in verse 19 we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. Our hope, God's people's hope, serves as an anchor for our soul. I don't know if you've ever been out on a, on a small boat. I don't do big boats. I'm not a necessarily water person. But I used to go fishing some, and and one time we were we were fishing for crappie, and uh, the boat the guy I was with the brother that was we were, I was fishing with didn't put his anchor down. He got he was so excited to fish he forgot to drop his anchor. Well, we're just going along here trying to do our thing and trying to bring fish into the basket and do all that, and all of a sudden we were a long way from where we put in the water, and I said, where are we? And he looked at me with this blank look on his face, and he said, I don't know. I said, well, best, don't you think maybe we better figure it out? And so we did, but that's how people go through their lives. They're just kind of like on that boat on the, on the water, and they're just kind of moving along, and they're just letting the water take them wherever it wants to take them, and they have nothing to hold them secure in their heart in their mind and in their life and they'll just keep on drifting. Don't be a drifter. Don't be that. Let, let your, your hope in Christ be the anchor for your So You know the anchor was a popular symbol in the early church. In fact, in the catacombs found in and around Rome in that area, at least 66 pictures of anchors. At least 66 are found on the walls. There's significance to that, to the early Christians. Amidst the very storms of life, it's the hope that gives us an anchor for our soul. And so we need to understand 
when the world says, for instance, you're a fool to believe. We need to listen to God rather than, than men. When the world tells us you lose, you're missing out on a lot of fun. Remember to seek you first the kingdom of God. When doubt speaks up and says you're alone, remember that Jesus says, I am with you always. You need to understand, my friends, that it was this hope that motivated Abraham. It was this hope that motivated Moses. It was this hope that motivated all the great Bible characters to please God and to be with him. Is it yours? So as we think about this, let's ask ourselves this question about diligence. What, what does diligence mean? Peter says back in our text in 2 Peter chapter 1, he said, Beside all also for this very reason, giving all diligence, all. Diligence is preceded by all. So what does that mean, all diligence? Well, it means that we have earnest application, earnestness that is demonstrated in accomplishing something, in the promoting of or striving after anything. It is reflective of what one's greatest interest in life is. You add, you may all diligence to do the things that God wants you to do. Let me tell you. The Christian life is not lived in the honor of God without diligence. Period. Period. We have to give our maximum effort. So may I ask you a question? I know that I have asked a lot of questions in the last, uh, this will be the third day. So I got a few more. And they won't hurt you too much. Are you giving maximum effort to the Lord? I can't answer that question for you. I don't want to answer that question for you. I got enough to do to answer for Bill Fairchild. Are you giving all diligence? It is literally an idea of, of haste, whether it's the athlete in sports or it's the student in academia world or whether it is a musician or whether it's an artist. Whatever field you want to talk about, it is the idea of bending forth every effort to be the best at what it is you're doing. Did you hear that? To be the best at whatever it is you're doing. Wonderful to be, a, and you should be, a wonderful wife, a wonderful mother, a wonderful aunt, a wonderful grandmother. You should be all of those things. But the most important of all those relationships is your relationship with God. Let me tell you something. If you get that out of sequence, if you don't have it right, your life's going to turn into a mess. It's got to be God first. I was talking with a young man not too long ago. Larry and I were talking about this lawyer in another place and he uh, 
worked in the district attorney's office and then he was lured into a law firm and it he was not really certain about it to begin with but he did it and when he did it he found out he shouldn't have done it and it didn't turn out what he thought it was going to be and he was struggling and then that spills over into your personal life and your family life and we talked and he prayed and he took some active activities and did some things and he has righted the boat and he's sailing smoothly again because he got back to putting God first and let everything else fall into place. Now that's not just something for someone. That's not a preacher story. That's a real life, real life human being. And you and I need to understand that. It's important that we be diligent in our earthly matters, how much more in our spiritual matters. Why are our God's promises great and precious to us? I'll tell you why, first of all. They're great because of him who made the promises in the first place. They are great because of the great life that those promises can lead us to. They are great because these, common, these promises come from a great and loving God whose love and greatness cannot be exhausted. They're precious, very precious to us because of what they offer, because of what they mean, because their value is beyond calculation. We talked Sunday morning in the, in the Bible study hour about the blessings in Psalms 103. You know what the most difficult kind of mathematics there is? I never was real good at math. Now, my sister, bless her heart, she was the mathematician in our family. She put all us boys to shame. And she still teaches some on the side. It's disgusting. Nobody should have that much love for math and be so good at it as she is, but she is. You know what the most difficult mathematic problem is? Counting your blessings. Try it. You'll run out of paper. Or you'll run out of ink. Or you'll run out of strength in your hand to keep writing. Because if you start thinking about it, it is beyond our ability to get our hands around it. Great and precious promises. So we need to understand all of this. And it's interesting that Peter says to us in verse 8, If these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. You and I, if we don't do these things and add to our faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and temperance patience and patience godliness and godly kindness brotherly love and to that love, if we don't do those things, we're not going to measure up. We've not, we've not become that well-rounded child of God that helps us to have the temperament, the disposition, the drive, the ambition, the faith, the stick to to do what it takes to stay focused on where we want to go when this life is over with. I've told you, 
I do believe every service. I want to go to heaven when this life is over with. And I will not make it there by accident. I will not make it there because I've done so much the Lord is just indebted to me. But I will make it. And I have the confidence to believe I will make it. If I will put first his kingdom and his righteousness, if I will live in such a way that I surrender my will to his will, that he becomes the Lord of my life and everything I do falls into pleasing to him, not to me. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is one of yours and mine, one of our biggest challenges. Now think about it. Think about that. So Peter says, not only do we need to have these things, but he says in verse 8, if these things are yours and abound. Have you, ever, have you ever thought about that idea of abounding? You know what that means? That is to have in abundance. It is not to just have enough to get by. It is not just to have, you know, a pretty good dose of this or a good dose of that. That's not what he's talking about at all. I, I'm a coffee drinker. Unashamedly, you can call me addicted, that's fine. I love coffee, and I really like Starbucks coffee. Now, I'm going through withdrawals because I'm having great coffee at Larry Debs, but I have not had a cup of coffee from Starbucks this week. I intend to take care of that tomorrow. <laughs> and when I go to get a cup of coffee, and I say, you know, I would just like a grande of the dark roast, please. Sugar and cream? No, I just want it black. If they bring me that cup and they have that lid on there and I feel that cup and it's light and it's not almost full, I take the lid off in front of them and I say, would you mind just giving me a little bit more of that? And they look at me and they well, sure. I mean, I'm smiling at them, but I'm also hawking them. I paid for a cup of coffee. I want a full cup of coffee. Well, what, what Peter is saying here is that if I add to my faith virtue and the virtue knowledge and knowledge temperance and temperance patience and so forth, I don't want to get just enough of any or all of those to get by. I want to have enough of those qualities, each and every one of them, that I, my heart and my life is filled to overflowing. You cannot contain all of it. Because you are so happy to be a child of God, to be a servant in the kingdom of God, that you are happy to do all the things you need to do. Let me tell you something. You and I need to be careful because Paul warned us in Galatians chapter 6, do not grow weary in well-doing. And we do grow weary in well-doing. And Satan knows we grow weary in well-doing. And sometimes he is just simply waiting and watching and looking for the opportunity to seize your weariness. You may be doing your best to serve God and you have health issues. You may do, be doing your best to serve God and you lose your job. You may doing, be doing the very best that you can do to serve God and you lose one of your children. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you right now, I do not know 
a deeper hurt and heartache than to see a son or a daughter leave the faith. We have a son. We brought him up. We nurtured him. We coached him. We did everything we could to help him to grow up to become a leader in the church. We thought we'd done a pretty good job. But Satan had other plans. I don't think I'm the only one in this audience who's had a son or a daughter or a spouse fall away. It's painful. And I pray multiple times every day that the Lord will spare my son and that he will have the opportunity to change his life. But I can't make him change his life. He has to want to. And that's what I'm saying to you this evening. Our virtues have to reflect the fact that that is exactly what we want to do. We want to please God. We want to do everything that we can all of life is not a mountaintop experience. There are peaks and there are valleys in this life. And I'll be the first to tell you, it is no fun down in that valley. I've been in that valley. And I didn't like what I saw. I didn't like what I experienced. I didn't like what I felt. And I wanted to get out, get out of there. And sometimes it takes a while to climb out of there. But ladies and gentlemen, right now, tonight... I'm out of that valley. And if I didn't get to preach another sermon, and if I drop dead after this lesson is over with, I will go to, go to my father, and I will know that I died doing what I have loved to do all of my life. Now, I, don't, I, I warn you, I don't plan on dropping dead right now, so, so don't, get, don't get fearful about that. I'm not having chest pains or anything else. But I'm just telling you, if we're not careful, complacency can come in and we can just get comfortable where we are. We need to work at developing our marriages. We need to work at developing our families. We need to work at developing congregations. We need to work at developing our reaching out in evangelism. We need to be busy and looking for more opportunities. There are more people out there. I don't know how many cars have driven by this building this evening while we've been in here. And I'm not a judge of who's driving in those cars. But I believe it's safe to say that there are a lot of folks right here in and around this building who have never named the name of Jesus Christ. The harvest is plenteous, Jesus said. The laborers are few. Would you be one of those? Don't be, don't be complacent. It takes effort and sacrifice and commitment to abound and to increase. Peter says, if they be yours and abound, we, we have to be diligent to try and to have a good marriage and all of those things. We must always be aware of becoming short-sighted. Now, what does that mean? If you're short-sighted, all you can do is, all you do is see things that are Real pretty close. You don't have uh, foresight. You can't see beyond a certain point. You're locked in on a short vision. Don't be short-sighted. 
That's why I entitled this lesson what I did, because we need to be looking ahead while we're living in the present. I love my wife of almost 52 years in December. I love my children. I love all nine of my grandchildren. Yes, I said nine. And they're the most wonderful grandchildren you've ever seen. They do not make mistakes. They do not disobey. They're just perfect little angels. And if you believe that, then I want to also sell you some property somewhere else where there's really not property. Okay? But that's another story. Let me just say to you as we begin to wind this lesson to a close. Our God calls upon us to exert ourselves. He calls upon us to be enthusiastic. He calls upon us to have an intensity of effort about ourselves. Very simply, he did not call us to be average. He called us to excel, to be the best that we can be. And that's the God I serve, and that's the God who, through the message of the gospel, called to me and offered the plan of salvation that through the Lord's death and the burial and resurrection ascension and my obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the burden of my sins could be removed from me. Let me ask you a question. Do you remember the day you were baptized? I do. I can tell you the weather in Oklahoma City that day. I can tell you what people came up and said to me after I came out of the dressing room. I can remember what my aunt and uncle said to us as we went to El Chico, El Chirito's Cafe and had lunch talking about what had just happened and I obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was an important day in my life. Do you remember that day? Do you remember how excited you were? Do you remember how enthusiastic you were? Do you remember how passionate you were and you wanted to learn and you wanted to do and it was almost like, whoa, now just simmer down just a little bit. Let's hold it back a little bit till you get a little bit of extra knowledge and working understanding before you start going out here and trying to convert the world. I heard of a fellow who had just obeyed the gospel, and he was very enthusiastic about what he'd done, and uh, he started calling people. And he asked them questions. That's all he needed to ask. He said, are you saved? There's only one problem with that. <laughs> he was a night clerk in a hotel. He was calling me in the middle of the night. Are you saved? What? I'm not even awake. What do you mean am I saved? But you know what? He was trying. And I'm saying to you that God wants us to exert ourselves. We need to be more passionate. We need to be more excited. We need to be on fire for the Lord. I see, it's football season, and I see people get all passionate about this and that. And I, I admit I, I had my days when I used to be real passionate about Oklahoma. Go Boomer sooner. But you know what? I don't lose any sleep if they lose. You know when I lose sleep? When I see someone who's not living like God wants them to live. How about you? about you.
Can I, may I ask you another question? Could you be better tomorrow than you were today if you wanted to be? Do you have room for improvement? Could you do a better job of serving God? Being kind to others? Caring? Interested? Loving? Could you improve on that? I could. And I suspect you could too. So you know what the determining factor is going to be? Remember I told you about playing the piano last night? You have to want to. That's what we have to do. So as I bring this lesson to a close, ladies and gentlemen, may I remind you of this truth. There is no greater calling. There is no more wonderful life to be lived than that of the Christian life. If you put your faith, if you put your trust, if you put your confidence in men, you're going to be disappointed every time. Because none of us is perfect. I've known a few people in life who thought they were. You probably have too. I didn't enjoy being around them. I didn't want to be with them. Because I was always very condescending and very just like better than me. Let me tell you something. Nobody's perfect. We've all got room for improvement. But you walked out with this thought tonight. God blessed you with a talent or talents. Are you using them in his service? Are you using them to honor and glorify him? Are you an instrument that is being used to lead others to the Lord and to better fit them and you for eternity? How long is eternity? I don't know. We can't really define that. But I know where I want to spend eternity. And I know where I don't want to spend eternity. And I think that you do as well. Finally, and I'm going to close, I want to read a passage that is a familiar passage uh, often read in Revelation chapter 21. I thought about this, and there were a number of passages that I could have closed out this lesson with. And there's so much more in First in Second uh, Peter chapter 1 that I, you almost feel like you've done a disservice when you finished a lesson on that text because there's just so much in there. But I wanted to give you a, a brief overview of the significance of, of diligence and applying ourselves and expectation. But I want to read now from Revelation 21, beginning with verse 1. And I, I tell you what, I want you just to dismiss every, every other thought right now and everything that's going on in your life. Just, I want you just to listen. Again, from the New King James. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. 
There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. The Lord is saying what you've just seen, what has just been revealed to you is the real deal. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Ladies and gentlemen, heaven, what a glorious end for a life that has been lived in the imitation of Jesus Christ. Are you living that kind of life? There's an interesting question that was asked by David. I'll not I'll just reference it found in 2 Samuel chapter 18. But I will tell you as we wrap the lesson up and this series up and as we offer the invitation to you. David's son Absalom had rebelled and had been a very disobedient, unkind, unloving son to his father. And he tried to take the kingdom from and he did all those things. And ultimately, Absalom, as you're familiar with the story, was riding on a donkey and he, his hair got hung in the bush and he was hanging there. And one of the servants saw it and was afraid to do anything about it. One of, one of David's right-hand men heard about it and he took care of it. Three spears to the heart. And then it was, they surrounded it, and the armor, the people that were there by his bodyguard, made sure Absalom was dead. And word came back to the king that Absalom had been spotted. And Absalom listened, and the, at first they didn't really want to share what had taken place. And then it came to the realization of what had happened and he asked is the child safe he was not safe he was dead so I ask you as we close are you safe tonight are you in the right relationship with God are you at peace with God? Is everything, is everything good with you and the Lord? If it's not, please think about it. Won't you come while we stand, while we sing?